Welcome to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Matt Manicharian, former NFL scout and now of Sports Info Solutions, joined by Aaron Schatz, the godfather of football analytics and the founder of Football Outsiders. As always, we've got our producer, Justin Stein, with us. And Aaron, the uh, season keeps rolling along, more changes every day. But uh, Tuesday night football was, uh, I thought, a pretty good experience. Yeah, it was a really good game. I Look, I'm going to be honest. I would prefer to not do this every week. It makes my life a lot harder <laughs> having to redo your stats after Monday and then, uh, sorry, after Sunday and then after Monday and then after Tuesday. And honestly, it's like a little bit much. Like I need nights off during the week. It's easier to do Tuesday night football when there's no Thursday night football. Like I realize people feel like more football is better, more football is better. But like there comes a time when you do want to do something else with your evening. But for a one-week thing, it was a pretty good game. Yeah, I I loved the game. It was uh, very much – I was watching Ryan Tannehill and Josh Allen, two quarterbacks that I've never really thought very much of. And Tannehill, I think, played well again. I think Arthur Smith's done a fantastic job with him. And, uh, you know, for all the years of of watching Tannehill where I really thought he was mediocre, I'm really, really starting to wonder how much of an effect Adam Gase can have on on a person's career – because it's, you know, the examples are out there. Um, and then on the other side, Josh Allen, okay, maybe it was like more of a typical Josh Allen game, but I thought watching it, I thought he played very well. I, I continue to be more impressed by him, even with a few turnovers in this one. Uh, at least one of them was definitely just bad luck. Had a touchdown, I think, taken away by a penalty that, that was another nice throw. Um, so I came away actually thinking, you know what, Josh Allen uh, is has put it together a little bit. So even though it wasn't a good game on the stat sheet for him, it was not at all a case where I was walking away saying, "Oh, okay, I was I was right all along about this one." I, I, I definitively wasn't. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there was a little bit of regression that I think we're all expecting, right? That he wasn't he wasn't going to play like that for the entire season, but. He still looked good. There were a couple of, in, of inaccurate passes, but there were also a couple of drop passes. Right. And, you know, some, he's going to have a few of those passes every game. Maybe it's a bad decision. Maybe it's just an awful throw. And for four weeks, it didn't really come back to bite him. This week, it did. That was, that was last week, even though it was just a, less than 48 hours ago as we record this. Well, let's look ahead. What do we got going on this week? Yeah, let's talk about some of the big games for this week. In fact, let me switch things up a little bit and do the game we were going to do last first because it allows us to continue to talk about Buffalo. Now, unfortunately, my little percentages didn't run correctly this week, so I, I have to admit I don't have the whole like percentage chance to change the playoff race, but there are three clearly really important games this week. So let's take, for even though it's not being played until Monday, since we're already talking about Buffalo, Let's take the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills as the first game to talk about for this week because uh, let's just talk a little bit about what's wrong in Buffalo, which is basically everything that's not Josh Allen. Yeah, um, they've they've had some issues, you know, going around the different units of their team. They're number three in pass EPA this year. Uh, The Chiefs are number two. Uh, So you look at that, but I, I think when you look at both teams, in certain ways, you know, on paper, they're not at all. But on, on, on the stat sheet, they're kind of mirror images of each other in a lot of ways. On defense? Well, the defense for Kansas City had problems this week against the Raiders. But for the season, it's been far better than the defense in Buffalo, which we had projected as the best in the league and has actually been something like 27th so far this year. 
Yeah, we so we have uh, the Bills 11th on pass EPA allowed this year, ninth in including ninth in pass rush, um, and 27th in excuse me, 23rd in rush EPA on defense. So not good on either side. But we've got the Chiefs. You know, we talked about the Chiefs last last week and their their pass defense being surprisingly good. They were second in EPA. Now they're down to seventh. Uh, and we we did talk about potential regression to come as far as that goes. I think it it came in in droves against Derek Carr. I think both teams not really. Uh, you know, we've got the Chiefs, for example, last in run defense by EPA. So yeah, we have them twenty eighth by DVOA. So uh, the matchups are really interesting in this one. And despite all of that, I still think that these are are two really really different teams in terms of how they're composed and in terms of how they want to play this game. Uh, from a pacing standpoint. It's it's interesting because you talk about the run defense. Both of these teams are struggling in the run game right now, and both of these teams are struggling on run defense. So on one side, we actually have the Buffalo running game 32nd in the league by DVOA. Right, we've got them 27th, yep. And the Kansas City run defense, like we just said, is terrible. On the other side, Kansas City, number one passing. We actually have them ahead of Green Bay, slightly but 17th running the ball and uh, they keep running into second and long situations with bad runs on first down. And uh, the Buffalo is like you said, a below average run defense. So it'll be interesting to see whether either of these teams is able to get its running game going against what looked like bad run defenses or will we continue to see, it feels like Reed is running too much. It just feels like Kansas City is running too much. They're doing too much Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Everyone got excited about that first game of the season, but uh, it's putting the Mahomes into bad down and distance. Yeah, I think teams are uh, that are playing them are certainly personnel-wise and alignment-wise trying to ask the Chiefs to run the ball against them. And so far, the Chiefs have obliged a lot of the time. That combined with the Chiefs playing so poorly on run defense themselves has allowed the game to become shorter, which is exactly what you want to do against Patrick Mahomes. We've talked about this before. It's how you played against Peyton Manning back in the day. You try, you try to limit the number of possessions that happen so that the difference between Mahomes and your quarterback is diminished as opposed to it would be if there were more and more possessions in the game. Right, and so that some random occurrence is more likely to, to change the game, right? That's the other reason why if you're the underdog, you want to reduce the number of possessions is because you want a random interception or a random fumble to be more likely to put things in your, in your. So I think you look at it statistically and you think, okay, we would want to see the chiefs probably try to pass the ball a little bit more, maybe try to pass a little bit to set up the run as opposed to the other way around. You know, that's a tall task against the the bills defense personnel wise. We know what they can do uh, assuming they're, they're at full health for this one, what they can do in terms of uh, a pass defense from the secondary and from a linebacker perspective, they can make it really difficult for your offense and all the great matchups that the Chiefs are used to having. And plus, you, you give them an opportunity to get their pass rush going, which I think is the real reason why Andy Reid has been afraid to uh, throw the ball so often is because he knows he can't protect Mahomes with the way that this offensive line has been playing, um, especially at the tackle position. Yeah, it's interesting that they're having problems with the offensive line. Also, run blocking has been a problem. They're surprisingly 27th in ESPN's run block win right. Uh, but pass blocking has been a problem. Strategically, you can definitely see how it is. Okay, you think, if I'm the Chiefs, I want to pass the ball more. I want to spread things out a little bit. But 
if you're the Bills, you're you're actively trying to prevent that. You're trying to do everything you can to influence them to keep handing the ball off and keep shortening the game. Um, and then meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, I don't think it's the, that the Bills want to try to attack vertically, but the Chiefs are going to have to drop down uh, and play eight men in the box against them, I, I think, to stop their running game. And at that point, Josh Allen can beat you with the big plays. He's proven that this year with the receivers that they have there. Well, we'll see. Like I said, their running game hasn't gone anywhere this year. Buffalo's running game has been right. It hasn't gone anywhere. So, you know, if the Chiefs can sit back and play uh, with two high safeties, then the Bills are going to try to run the ball. They might not succeed, but they're going to try to run the ball if that's what they do. Uh, But I think actually, if you're the Chiefs, you you don't necessarily want that. You want to actually make this game uh, more of a passing game for both teams, more of a, a race to score points as opposed to that sort of a a ground and pound type of game. Um, So strategically, I'm really interested. I think the pace of this game is going to be indicative of the way that the game goes. Um, And I'm fascinated by not just how we, you know, on paper, you look at it and say, this is what I'd want to do offensively, but also how the defenses are going to be planning for that. Yeah, this really shocked me. But even after the Raiders game and after what Derek Carr did with deep passes to Henry Ruggs and Nelson Aguilar, Kansas City is still number one in the league in DVOA against deep passes. Obviously, that's a small sample size after five games because there's a lot more short passes than deep passes. But they may want to let Allen throw deep. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's fascinating. It's hard to say that watching the way Allen's thrown the ball deep this year, but and watching the way that Kansas City's defense played last week. Yeah, uh, absolutely. All right, what do we have next? Our next big game for this weekend is the uh, 4-0 and Pittsburgh Steelers hosting the 4-1 and Cleveland Browns in what should be an awesome battle of the trenches. The Browns are number one in adjusted line yards on offense. The Steelers are number one in adjusted line yards on defense. Looking at pass rush, I don't have pressure rate numbers in front of me, but I checked out the ESPN numbers. The Steelers are number two in pass rush win rate, and the Browns are number three in pass block win rate. So that Browns offensive line with Bill Callahan now as the coach has been dramatically improved this year, and the Pittsburgh defense we know in the front is really good. T.J. Watt is a defensive player of the year candidate. So uh, it's going to be an awesome battle in the trenches. Like You're going to want to like not watch the quarterback and the receivers. Like, just watch the linemen on here. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. Our numbers mostly match there in terms of Steelers number one in the pass rush so far by points saved. Browns number six. Um, we got them a little bit lower on the on the run defense, but uh, pretty close overall. The thing th- that I'm looking for, I think, is whoever controls the other team's pass rush. I think wins the game, which I think gets back to exactly what you were saying. Uh, it's a game that's going to be decided in the trenches, and I think you know going back to what we were saying with the last game. A lot of analysts will watch and they'll say, why do teams keep running the ball so much? Passing's going to create more points. It's going to create more winning. But, you know, Sean Payton, as far as coaches go, is somebody I've been around. He'll, he'll, he was the first person I ever really heard say, you've got to throw the ball to score points. If your goal is to score points, you have to throw the ball to do that. And the point of football is to score more points than the other team. Even so, he understands the value of running the football. And I think a lot of times what it is is controlling the pass rush so that you can, uh, so that you can pass more efficiently. Uh, by controlling pressure rate and all that kind of stuff. So in this game, I really look at it as, you know, Pittsburgh just 29th in terms of rushing EPA on offense. Brown's 17th in rush defense EPA. Um, Brown's ninth in rush EPA on offense. Pitt, Pittsburgh number five in rush defense EPA. 
So you look at that game and you, and you see kind of maybe is this like you're stalemating with the matchups, but I think right there is where you have to look because when it comes down to it, these pass rushes have been what these teams have both won because of this year. Their pass defenses as a whole haven't been that good, except for that they've been really good in terms of pass rush, which has dictated that overall they've been pretty good. So I really think that's the whole game. We're all going to have our eyes on Miles Garrett already to begin with. But on both sides of the ball, I think whoever can control the pass rush, whether that's by running the football or it's by by game plan and by scheme, whatever that is, whoever controls that line of scrimmage, like you were saying, um, I love their ability to, to to find the big plays and get the ball down the field. It's interesting that um, I think uh, cornerback depth might be an issue. It's a small sample size, again, after just four or five games for these teams. But both Pittsburgh and Cleveland have been poor against what we call other receivers this year, like the guys who are not the top two guys. So it would be interesting to see what happens with sort of the the depth receivers for each team. Uh, I guess that's like James Washington for Pittsburgh and like Rashard Higgins for Cleveland. Uh, who's covering them and uh, what happens if the you know the coverage is better on Beckham and Landry and better on uh, Dante Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster? What happens with those other guys? I think that the uh, the Steelers certainly have some weapons. We all saw what, what Chase Claypool did. You add him to Juju and James Washington, uh, it seems like they'll probably be staying away from Eric Ebron going forward, but I, I don't know how that one's going. Oh, Eric Ebron is just going to be Eric Ebron. He's going to be tantalizing, and then he's going to drop passes. It's the same as it ever was. That could be an issue. So uh, I think that's a great point that you make. If that if that secondary depth is an issue there on, uh, on that side, I, I especially think that that's a problem with the receivers that the Steelers have. The 2021 edition of the Bill James Handbook is available for order from actasports.com. This year's book features lots of great insights. Bill invented a new stat to measure game score for batters. We look at the impact of the rule changes made in the shortened season and the weird stats that a short year creates. Speaking of stats, we've got lots of them. Career and year-by-year totals for every major leaguer, plus deep dives into defensive runs saved, RBI percentages, shifts, the Hall of Fame, and more. Plus, the first set of hitter and pitcher projections for the 2021 season. That's the Bill James Handbook 2021 edition, available at actosports.com, where you can get 10% off and free shipping. Order today. All right, let's talk about our last big game for the week, uh, and this is the one where I'm going to get to go out on a limb. So let's talk about the four. 4-0 Green Bay Packers against the 3-2 and Tampa Bay Buccaneers because these are like the two teams where there is the biggest unexplainable difference between what DVOA says and what EPA says. <laughs> and I'm going to be like the only like advanced analytics guy out there who's calling for a Tampa Bay upset at home. Listen, I understand that EPA, oh, like anybody who does an EPA-based metric has Green Bay higher than Tampa Bay. And we have Tampa Bay second and Green Bay sixth, and they're they're essentially tied. But obviously, Tampa Bay has the home field advantage, and they do have fans in the stand. Uh, Green Bay is number one on offense, clearly, but we don't have the miles ahead of everybody else. Partly because when you normalize things for how good offenses have been around the league this season, they're not like historically great compared to average. They're only historically great because the average this year is so high. And then on defense, we have them 28. Now, a big reason for that is that they've given up a lot of yards when they're winning. 
So the question is, how much do we learn from what a defense does when it's defending a lead? And like, I mean, again, like everything I've ever done in the past says that those are valuable learning snaps that you you do learn how good a defense is by how well it defends a lead. And Green Bay has given up a lot of yardage with a lead this year. Other people would say you need to discount, you know, quote unquote, garbage time. And therefore, the Green Bay defense is better than we have it as. And then I am going to be completely honest. I don't know why I have Tampa Bay's offense better than most EPA numbers. We have Tampa Bay's offense, I think, 12th in the league or 11th in the league. And some of that is opponent adjustment, but mostly it's not. And I think EPA has them below average. So uh, I don't really know what the disconnect is there. And so I guess we'll kind of see a little bit in this game what what we're seeing. Yeah, it's funny. You looked at the um, the the matchups based on DVOA, and you were surprised that the Bucks' offense came out so high. I looked at things based on uh, not the NFL fast R model of EPA that I think a lot of people use, uh, or ESPN's EPA model, but um, obviously the Sports Info Solutions model. And we have the Bucks just twenty first in the NFL in passing EPA, twenty third in rush EPA. I was surprised. I thought they were going to be higher than that in pass EPA. Yeah, and they are in DVOA, and that's what's – I'm a little confused. I don't know what we're measuring differently, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I will say that some of it is third downs because they've been an average offense by DVOA on first and second down, but number four on third downs. And I think some of it is not including some penalties. And I think penalties don't necessarily uh, predict as well as yards on off, uh, like runs and passes. So, you know, I think things are better for filtering out a lot of penalties. Right. And one thing that just uh, came to mind was looking at things in terms of positive percentage as opposed to outright EPA. That might be more analogous to EPA, uh, to DVOA rather, um, just based on the way that things are constructed. I'm pulling that up quickly. And yeah, not much of a difference. We see the Patriots 19th in terms of the Buccaneers. Oh, sorry. Um, (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Tom Brady has you thinking of the Patriots. 27th. Yeah, I again, I it's very strange because uh, you know we have them with a their DVOA is higher than their success rate or their yards per play. So I don't know what I'm measuring, what plays am I measuring that I'm getting a different result. But you know, I guess we'll see a little bit in this game. So what's going to take longer uh, for me to stop putting Tom Brady on the Patriots or for me to stop putting the the Chargers in San Diego? Those are the two. Oh my God, the latter. <laughs> I can't get over We're that. We're going to be one. staying San Diego until 2035. The Raiders are even easier than that. I don't know why. <laughs> because it feels like the Chargers are still in San Diego because they barely moved and because we think of the Rams as the Los Angeles team. No, the other side is just strength against strength. Again, it's another great battle in the trenches, although it's a little bit less now that Vita Vea is injured. But Tampa Bay is number one in pass rush win rate, Green Bay is number one in pass block win rate. Tampa Bay is number two on defense and adjusted line yards. Green Bay is number four on offense and adjusted line yards. So again, that's like a really, really strong uh, battle. The problem with Tampa Bay is their defense is 25th on third downs, while the Green Bay's offense is second on third downs. So that's like the place where Tampa Bay is going to be giving it up to Green Bay. That's interesting. Uh, You know, we're always talking about how third down and red zone numbers are, are the most indicative of whether or not you're going to win that game, but it, they're kind of hard to extrapolate out to other games because they, they, Great, yeah. so we'll see about that. I think you're spot on. That's what I've got my eyes on the Packers offense against the Bucks defense. I think that's uh, 
a Super Bowl-level matchup. Packers number one uh, in passing EPA, of course. We've got the Bucks, the number four pass defense in the league, including the number two pass rush. So as far as that goes, I, I just want to sit back and enjoy um, the, the Bucks defense. You know, we're always talking about how defense might not be as predictive year over year as offense, but so far they've been outstanding. Yeah, well, they've been even better than they were last year. So that was, you know, one of the things going into this year is that those of us that were high on Tampa Bay, some of us at least were like, it's not just because of Brady. Like in actuality, Brady may not be that much better than Jameis, but there's this defense here. And I think that's what you've seen is that except for avoiding interceptions, which he hasn't even done that well, Brady has been about what Jameis was last year, but the defense has been really good. Yeah, well, I mean, we we talked about it when we did the the Football Outsiders readers, um, their list of the most likely uh, teams to surprise uh, contenders for this year, and we did we talked about the Bucks, and that was before Brady ever happened. Yeah, it's interesting. Also, this game, Chris Godwin did practice on Wednesday, so hopefully the Bucks get him back, and the Packers will get Devontae Adams back. So it would be good if both of these teams are at a you know, full capability with their wide receivers so that we could really see a good battle. You know, for all the talk that we do about uh, building defenses and how linebackers are not a off-ball linebackers are not a premier position uh, by building with Devin White and Levante David, there's just so much speed in the middle of that Bucks defense that I think, you know, Mike Lombardi used to always say to us, you know, show me a, a, a fast middle linebacker. I'll show you a fast defense. They've got two guys in the middle of the field there against run and pass that are really uh, special players. Right, whereas Green Bay's defense is absolutely built with the idea of the inside linebackers being lesser players. Like they're much more about the front and the and the secondary, and not about the linebackers at all. Right, get 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 those edge players, and then give me give me pass defenders. I can't even remember who the inside linebackers are right now for Green. Oren Oren Burks, I guess. Whoever replaced Blake Martinez, or Oren Burks is one of them. That's all I know. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to each of these games that we talked about, really uh, huge matchups as we went through. Anything else you want to discuss before we get out of here? Uh, folks, should check out Football Outsiders for a really good film room on the Miami Dolphins defense and uh, how they are going to make that better than it has been, as well as a book review of the new book on Sean Payton and Drew Brees. Interesting. What's, uh, what do you mean by that about the Dolphins defense being better than they have been? Uh, Derek uh, Klassen, who wrote the article, feels like they're they're scheming it up well, and like what they did against San Francisco sort of shows what they can be going forward. Obviously, what Miami did against San Francisco was much better than how their defense played last year or how it's played in the first four games of this season. But he feels that the scheming shows that they can improve over time. Uh, although they're not playing run defense at all, it's basically just they're basically just playing against the pass, which is great when you take a huge lead like they did against San Francisco, but won't be as great when they're playing a team that can score on them uh, and a team that uh, can stop Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah. As you know, I've paid close attention to, to the Dolphins. They were my childhood team. Uh, it looked like uh, from the eye test and from the stats, they were playing almost exclusively man coverage early in the year. I wonder if that was just a little bit because of shortened off season, no preseason, very hard to teach multiple coverages early. I think that's part of what's been going on with offenses being ahead of defenses, period, um, in the first month, month and a half of the NFL season. So we'll see if, if defenses can kind of catch up as the year goes on. But over the last few weeks, you've seen the Dolphins mix up much more schematically in terms of not just 
uh, one kind of zone scheme, but but playing single high zone, two high zone, um, and then mixing in that man coverage uh, a whole bunch. So I'll be fascinated to check that one out. I believe when we talk about Miami specifically, this was the first week that they had both Xavier Howard and Byron Jones healthy. Right. I'll be, uh, I'll be looking out for that. And of course, uh, the book recommendation as well. From the Sports Info Solutions side of things, you can check us out on Twitter at SportsInfo underscore SIS. On the baseball side of things, we have our annual Bill James Handbook that comes out right at the end of the baseball season every year. We've been working hard on that. We turned it into the publisher, um, and that will be on bookshelves by November 1st. So by the time the, the World Series is over, the Bill James Handbook will be in your hand. So you can check that out. You can order it on actasports.com or on Amazon. and you can pre-order, and that'll be uh, the the thing to get you baseball fans through the off season, uh, whatever that looks like heading into next year. You can also check out the free SIS Data Hub by visiting sisdatahub.com, and of course the Pro Data Hub at pro.sisdatahub.com. You can get a free seven day trial. From my co-host Aaron Schatz and our producer Justin Stein, I'm Matt Manicharian, and thank you for joining us for the latest episode of the Off the Charts Football Podcast.